Hello and welcome to another episode of the 15 Minutes of Football Transfer News Central podcast, or some variant of that. We've had lots of different sorts of variants of that over the uh, over the past few months, but that sounds like it has a nice ring to it. I'm Johnny yeah. Bentley, your host, and again, I'm joined by Hammers. Hi! <laughs> Hammers <laughs> yeah. Prescott, yeah, that's... <laughs> yeah, they, they, you, I mean, this seems to be, yeah, I mean, the, the, yeah, fantastic. Why, the James and Hammers thing, actually. Best headline I've ever read, James, or Hammers, was that when Hammers Rodriguez scored his wonderful goal in the, uh, Colum- in the World Cup of Colombia, and I'm sure you're aware because it's been wild and mainstream now, the names, Bond, Hammers Rodriguez. Terrible, wasn't it? So, so <laughs> poor. I know. And there was, ironically, there wasn't an author to that um, piece, which has happened a good job because I reckon his Twitter mentions have been going through the roof. Every, each and every time Hammers Rodriguez does do something well, that headline always <laughs> rears its ugly head. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, so we weren't on air last week. Well, we weren't available last week because I was having some technical um, malfunctions. Uh, but not to worry, hopefully a new laptop, which is hopefully on the way for me, will clear those problems. And, uh, you know, a big shout out as well to our to our new editor, Sam Atkinson, who I think uh, the last time I sent him um, a podcast, James, he did it, he, he had it edited and ready in about two or three hours. Amazing. Very, work. Very, Very good. Work. Amazing, Sam. Amazing. I mean, I've, I've, been, work, Sam. I've been used to two and, two and three months, really. So to do it in two and three hours was quite remarkable. And I, I applaud the efficiency anyway enough about the um you know enough uh, enough applause for the, for the team in the background they know how much i value them onto the content james onto the content i mean it's been quite staggering i mean i was upon doing these 15 minute segments of course we are the 15 minutes of football podcast we decide for the most complex topics in 15 minutes or less there's been so much to go with you know and i'm going to start with a title i've called stranger things not to be confused with the netflix series uh, other <laughs> other sci-fi series are available, but it does feel like actually I think I think I should go with an invasion of the body snatchers kind of thing, uh, body snatchers kind of thing, James, because it feels like I, I went into this week with a, with a solid idea after two weeks of sort of where the season might be going, who might be doing well, who might not be doing well, and suddenly, as I was saying off air, I, I, I do a predictions piece for the, for the one of the websites I write for, and I'm usually not too far off the mark, but in terms of outcomes teams that win, draw or lose. I've got them all wrong so far this week in the Premier League. I've got all nine incorrect, uh, which is staggering, actually. It's quite staggering. Uh, although, I must say, I, I was very close with, I think, a 2-2 Brighton v Man United result. So I, th- yeah. I consider myself a bit unfortunate there. But, I mean, go on then, Jed. We'll, we'll, I'll throw you in now. I've spoken for far too long, as ever. What <laughs> is going on? Why is Invasion of the Body Snatchers happen, happening in, over this week? What's happening? What's going well, on? I think I have this theory about this. Uh, um, that I mean, if you look at the teams at the top of the table right now: Leicester, Everton, mm. Arsenal, Liverpool, Crystal Palace are doing well. Now, all those teams have something in common, right? All of those, none of those teams were playing in European football over the summer, right? Their seasons ended when the season ended. Uh, whenever I can't even remember when that was now. I think it was June. Not too June, long ago. Beginning of July. July. Basically, basically, these teams had a full pre-season. They had a proper rest between seasons. New signs were able to bed in much more easily. They, they had pre-season games. They get match fit. 
uh, to get sharp, more time to prepare, and as such, they're able to hit the ground running. Whereas Manchester City, Chelsea, Wolves, uh, Manchester United, they all, their seasons went into August. They barely had a break, and then some of their players went off to play internationals. Chelsea, I know, had an issue with a COVID outbreak, so a lot of players couldn't go get to pre-season training until about a week before the season started. So, and even Frank Lampard has actually said that, yeah, this has basically been our pre-season the last few games. So they're not at their best. They're not at their sharpest. Uh, and new signings are not, you know, get it, still, are still adapting, still integrating. And those are the teams that are not doing so well, right? Because if you look at Manchester United, they have, they lost and and won very like right at the death. Didn't play very well. Didn't deserve to win. Chelsea have won one, lost one, and drawn one, and not really played well in any of them. And uh, Manchester City, they won their first game, but they kind of dropped off in the second half in terms of performance. And today, I mean, to be honest, the same thing happened today. They played well in the first half. Kind of, we're dominating the game, and then today, today is a Sunday. Just in case anyone. Yes, today's a Sunday. Sorry, and then they lose to Manchester Leicester City five two, which is the first time a Pep Guardiola team has ever conceded five in a game. I think so, uh, or lost by five goals or something. So, yeah, and that's Manchester City. I mean, and they had a pretty strong side out today. They had Mares, they had Kevin De Bruyne, they had. They had Rodri playing. They had Aki. They had, you know, they had they had a pretty decent team out. Carl uh, Walker was playing. You know, this wasn't like a weak uh, Fernandinho started today, so it wasn't like a weak Man City team. Yeah, there's, it's clearly that play. That some of these clubs are just still getting their match sharpness. They're still getting back, getting to their peak form. And I think what you'll see is you've got one more week. Of Premier League games, and then we've got the international break for a couple of weeks. By that time, three weeks' time, everyone's players will be match sharp, match fit, ready to play. Um, new signings will be more integrated, I guess, uh, as well. The transfer window will be done. There won't be any instability around that either. And then you'll start to see these teams at their best again, I think. That's, uh, that's, that's my theory on that. I think, uh, and then we've seen it. Got it. It's seen it in Germany as well. At Bayern Munich, you know, the, one of the best sides in in the world at the moment, absolutely dominant. And okay, they won their first league game eight nil last week, <laughs> which is just it's like normal for Bayern Munich. But today they lost for the first time in over a year. Um, Sunday again, they lost. I think it's four one. Four one. Uh, and it was like everyone was looking at it and like, what the, what happened here? You know, and this is Bayern Munich. Uh, so, and again, they were in the Champions League final. So PSG, another one, they started really mm, badly. Mm. Uh, so I think it's, a, I think this is a, a pattern and it's just a consequence of the compressed fixtures that we've had to have because of the pandemic. Mm. Uh, you know, so I think it will even itself out eventually. So. Mm. Yeah, so you'll see these big sides pick up, definitely, for sure. And they'll kind of reassert themselves, I think. You'll see all of those teams that I've mentioned will improve. Well, I do uh, think that... Uh, break. 
I mean, we'll talk about the uh, foreign teams in the, in the in the next section. Actually, there's a lot, there's sort of quite a lot to look through there. Um, yeah. I was just thinking about that as well. You were saying you mentioned um, in terms of English teams, you were mentioning the strong start, not people not being in Europe, but actually, as well, when you think about it, uh, Crystal Palace, Liverpool, Leicester, Everton, during the restart, these many of these were teams out of form, as though standards had dropped and efforts had taken a lull. In many ways, I mean, Crystal Palace, especially as uh, they were safe uh, from the fears of relegation, and then injuries sort of began to creep up, and then suddenly players looked like they were going through the motions for the uh, last five or six games in general. Uh, same with Everton, who lost three one at uh, on the final day to relegate to Bournemouth, which was kind of symptomatic about how the standards had slipped so much during that period after the restart, and Leicester as well with one of the an incredible collapse from a position of such dominance. They were going into restart looking like a team that were, you know, set to be in the Champions League unless it, unless there was a mighty catastrophic fall. And there was. There was, and it was sort of unprecedented. We didn't expect that from the, from the Foxes. But all of these teams almost saw their standards drop in the restart. So maybe mentally, physically, more from a mental standpoint, they let 10, 20% drop during the restart it, because right now it looks like they're back at 100, yeah. judging by the way they've, they've, they've started this season. So do you think maybe those that had that mental drop or let the standards just slide a bit, maybe were a bit lethargic over the restart, are they yeah. benefiting now because they're, all, they're, actually, they're even more re-energised because not only have they not had Europe to contend with, but during the restart, you know, a lot of these teams didn't actually turn up. That's true. That's definitely true. They kind of, a lot of them, I mean, Everton's a great example of that. They, they didn't have anything to play for, really. They weren't really in contention for Europe. Uh, well, like you could argue that they were, but they probably felt like, okay, this is just time to kind of go through the motions, maybe experiment tactically, you know, uh, and just go on to the summer and, uh, you know, and plan ahead. That's possible, definitely. I think there's a lot of teams where that's the case. I mean, yeah, a lot of teams in the kind of mid to lower table, mid in like mid table, who didn't have anything to to play for, basically. Carlo Ancelotti's apparently had a history. Um, I'm not, I'm, I'm not statistically backed up here, but I've heard a few people say that in previous years, Carlo Ancelotti, when his teams haven't had anything to pr- play for, he has, he's quite relaxed with how much he expects from them, and he sort of allows yeah. players to be quite. You know, he's, he's, he, he, you know, quite the opposite to say Pep Guardiola, where when they had the the league wrapped up, he was, you know, right to the last day, hammering home the importance of breaking all yeah. those records. Whereas Carlo Ancelotti is a lot more, he's com- completely opposite in terms of the the pressure that he puts on his players, in terms of the intensity that he puts on his players. And yeah, that's true. And and that definitely did show. I mean, I, I know Everton fans, Everton fans being on this podcast, and we know. Or, or at least I know that 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 run of form was quite dire. To, you know that the, the football was quite dire to watch. They were getting beat quite comfortably by teams who you'd argue they should have been going a bit more toe to toe with. But again, like like we said, James, you know, it, I suppose during this uh, what what is effectively almost well, it's a it's a behemoth of a season coming up because you're going to have the Euros and you've just had the back end of last season. It may have actually, you know, in, in, in a way, it might have been short-term pain for a bit of, 
you know, obviously we can talk about the investment Everton have made and it has made a big difference. Alan, I'm delighted to call Ray, James Rodriguez transforms that midfield. But also just a, just a, a more re-energised look across the whole team. And Calvert-Lewin's been fantastic at the start. Oh, Charlison is, um, you know, proving himself to be a nuisance as ever. Andre Gomez looks very good. The defence, Everton's defence, doesn't look too bad. Pickford looks a little better, although we're still not 100% sure on him, but still looks a bit, to me, a little bit better than what he did post-restart, where it was seemingly a mistake every other game. And you know, I know he didn't do too well in the cup, but and uh, the jury is still out a little bit, but it's a lot more promising. And I'm using Everton as sort of an example there, but it's, as, a, as we say, Leicester the same, terrible, you know, in their attempts to, see, to keep a, a Champions League spot almost collapsed mentally in that period, but re-energised, looking great now, phenomenal result at the Etihad. Crystal Palace, nothing to play for, re-energised as the hardback sort of focus. Good signing, Ebera Chiesa, looks the part. And um, he does. And Liverpool as well, win the title, almost standards do slip quite massively. I mean, they battered 4-0 at the Etihad, you know, and... uh, Lost 2-1 to Arsenal, lost, uh, drew the final home game against Burnley, so they didn't win every home game across the whole season. And now, you know, two, two, two convincing performances. Will they do it? Will they make it three against Arsenal? Don't know, because Arsenal have also done quite well. But, you know, I think that I think that's what we've got, James. I think we've sort of both broken it down. What you said, I think, is the, the definitive point. No Europe longer pre-season or a more normal pre-season to rest and re-energise and prepare, which hasn't been the case for Man City, Wolves, Chelsea, uh, Man United. Hence, we're seeing a drop-off there. And almost, I guess we could say, uh, that or until the international break, that's essentially their pre-season, I suppose. Yeah, that's right. I do believe that. And I think you'll see a change after, after the international break. Uh, but, um, yeah. Seem to be more prepared, and they'll be able to play their more natural system, tactical systems, because they'll have everyone available. Yeah, as well. Uh, yeah. you know. So, mm. and then of course the transfer window will be over, so there'll be no speculation, and you'll have players will will all know clubs will know who they have for the season, uh, and will have the players that they that they that they want. They may not have mm. them yet. So, mm. yeah, um, yeah. I think the season that's when the season will really start to kind of. Take off for me, but, um, but but just in summary, I suppose they say greatness comes to those who wait, and as we as we just sort of dissected there, a lot of teams are in a bit of a rough time in the restart, doing fantastically well now. So they are, you know, going to have some very happy fans right now at the moment. They are, they are. Really so. I don't know. That's a lovely way to to round that sort of fifteen off. But I suppose uh, it, it's natural when we're discussing the um, sort of the, the broad overview in the, of the Premier League, sorry, to then look at other um, leagues across um, Europe. And, um, you know, there's been some, as we say, we, we're extending the uh, sort of reach of uh, invasion of the body snatchers um, because, quite frankly, as you sort of alluded to, James, Bayern Munich 8-0 winners against Schalke lost 4-1 today against Hoffenheim. And, um, you know, I actually watched this game uh, but accidentally, in many ways. But I, you know, after seeing Hoffenheim go two 0 up, I did, I did carry on the, uh, the watch, and it was a phenomenal performance. Hoffenheim had twenty eight percent of the ball, 
to Bayern's 72%, but they had 17 shots to Bayern's um, 16, and they had eight shots on target to Bayern's four. And Andre Kramaric, who was a bit, who was a Premier League flop with Leicester City, was he got, got a double, incredible uh, performance from him. He could have had a hat trick. And Munez Dabor running through on goal against Manuel Neuer has the audacity to dink Neuer to make it two 0 in the game. You know, nerves of steel. And it was it was it was obviously a truly phenomenal performance because I kid you not, maybe Bayern could have got another goal, but Hoffenheim could have had seven or eight. They were so good, um, breaking at will every time against Bayern. You know, and 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 this was you know it was a Bayern Munich team that had, that went 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 forward with a purpose, but as soon as they lost the ball, it was almost like they were so vulnerable to um, a structured uh, counter-attacking setup from Hoffenheim. And uh, it didn't change. I mean, we saw that, James, I suppose, in the Champions League a little bit. But what was different, I suppose, then was the likes of Neuer was outstanding. And, the, you know, the defence in general, although really high up, generally did quite well. Uh, and, the t- and they're always so dominant and, and a bit, maybe a bit more purposeful when they had the ball. But uh, is that just an extension, I suppose, James, what we've been saying? That even a team like Bayern Munich, who absolutely blitzed this brush aside Schalke last week, you know, can look so vulnerable when mentally they, it looks like they were 15, 20% below what Bayern Munich should be. Yeah, I, I think, and I think that's an extension of um, what we talked about before with, you know, Bayern won the Champions League. <laughs> they were playing to the end of August, I think, you know, right to the end of August. So they, two weeks later, their season started. It's almost like they, they didn't have a break in a way. Yeah, and it's going to be interesting at the end of the season to see what happens with certain teams as well. Um, mm. went, who went real? I mean, not the. I'm not talking about the kind of Man United and the Chelsea's, but the ones who got to the kind of latter stages, mm. you know, City and Bayern and PSG. That you know, what will happen at the end because of the nature of this season. So you could easily, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. <laughs> you know what I find is a bit crazy as well, James. Uh, the Bundesliga actually finished uh, before the Premier League season finished, and yet it started after the Premier League season started. I do think we started our season slightly too early, uh, in fairness. And I, I, I do think, um, you know, the, I, I couldn't believe quite, when the, when the dates came through, I couldn't believe quite how quickly the turnaround actually was. Uh, because as we say, even in Germany, you know, Bayern still may be feeling some ill effects of going all the way to the end in, the, in their European uh, expeditions, as this result shows. Um, you know, I suppose it's the most shocking result since the 5-1 uh, defeat to Frankfurt that saw uh, Niko Kovac lose his job behind the flick. Um, mm. But uh, it's not just Bayern, though. Obviously, uh, it, this is you know, quite a recurring theme. It, another quite astounding result. Augsburg beating Dortmund 2-0 with 20% of the ball. So even less than 28% of Hoffenheim. Yeah, session. You know, Dortmund with 18 shots, Augsburg only with six. To me, um, and Andy Brassel was saying this on BT actually uh, after the game, uh, a lot of people sort of question, you know, whether Dortmund's mentality is quite as elite as it maybe should be, given that Bayern win everything and they're so dominant to things. Are oh, they still a bit young? And he said it's actually the young players who were very good and perhaps the experienced, more experienced players who aren't delivering the support that they maybe should be doing. Because, you know, 2-0 to, to Augsburg, in theory, a much smaller team. As soon as Augsburg take the lead, it means that they have the incentive to drop back and, you know, have a more effective deep block because they're holding on to something. 
Um, and then you look at the Dortmund backline of Mats Hummels, Akanji, Thomas Mernier has come in as well. Um, and then you look at the goalkeeper, Roman Burke, who's another fairly experienced player now in that team. And you're not entirely convinced by it. I mean, hmm. I, what, you, when, when it comes to Dortmund, James, do you get the sense that they're always almost a Tottenham Hotspur team if we were to compare them to an English, an English club? Yeah, they've got I mean, s- great team to watch. They've got some great attacking talent. I mean, you know, Jaden Sancho, Erling Haaland, you know, two potentially world-class players. Uh, and I've got a load of other talent. Giovanni Reina, 17 years old, fantastic player. I mean, it yeah, and Bellingham as well. Him. And he's starting. Uh, he started well. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, you get that. Yeah, I get that feeling. They're kind of like a top them. They, they never look like they're going to win the Bundesliga. No. Uh, yeah, they. But they they're great to watch, and they and they go far in Europe, and they and they seem to be able to spot talent very well on recruit talent. And Is that a bit down to the manager though? I know Lucien Favre, um, ha, you know, yeah, I've never actually been entirely convinced by him because no. when Dortmund had an unbelievable transfer window last summer, in many people's eyes, they were almost toe-to-toe with Bayern who'd got rid of Robin and Ribéry and they were evolving. You know, as we say, Niko Kovac uh, got the sack from Bayern Munich and he left them, I think they were third or fourth in the division. I think they, were, they may have been fourth um, off the back of a 5-1 hammering at Fra- against Frankfurt. And they, were, they didn't look at all like a team that had won uh, the Bundesliga for so many years prior. And yet, Borussia Dortmund weren't even the top of the table at that point. I think it was Monchin Gladbach and then Leipzig. Um, yeah. And then as soon as uh, Ko- um, Kovac had gone, uh, Bayern adjusting to life under, under Hansi Flick. And one of the first games was against Dortmund. Now, that's a very difficult game for Hansi Flick to take over as a caretaker manager. Very. And they won 4-0 and Dortmund were absolutely awful and they were terrible. And you just thought, well, obviously it's always a tough game against Bayern Munich, but this was the chance to sort of really get, take, take the game to them. And they looked absolutely clueless. And to a point, you know, you can sort of say, well, they're the nearly men and, and so on and so forth. But last year was an, a genuine opportunity. Okay, Bayern won the league, they won the Champions League. Um, that's fair enough. But the lack of a challenge from Dortmund last year did concern me. And with all that young talent and a bit of experience there at the back, I maintain they should have been doing better. than. It's hard to say they should be winning the league because Bayern Munich's there, but they should be giving a, a, a viable challenge and maybe yeah, winning the odd trophy. Yeah, they should be. I mean, I, I, yeah, they should. You're right. It should be... They should be pushing Bayern closer than they are. They should be winning the old German Cup. I mean, the last trophy they won, I think, if I'm correct, is when Thomas Tuchel was there and they won yeah. the German Cup. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and then he left. Uh, and they probably regret him going. I think he... I, I rate Thomas Tuchel as a, as a coach. Um, mm-hmm. If he had stayed, I think they might have been more competitive right at the top. I mean, you can imagine him managing, managing a team with Erling Haaland and Jadon Sancho, you know. Yeah. I mean, um, they would probably be more competitive. So, yeah, I mean, they, they, had a good, they had a good record with managers for a while. I mean, I, I think as club, well. And then they had two call. Really um, but, uh, yeah, Flick is um, it's not, not Flick, sorry, wrong. Yeah, uh, no, no. Uh, no, uh, Lucien Favre, sorry. Yeah. Favre, yeah, that's it. He's, he's not on the same level as a coach. 
It doesn't um, seem to be. What I would say in his defence, I do think, uh, you know, I think about Dortmund's defence over the years, so even under Jurgen Klopp, it wasn't the, 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 the strength of them, but they did have, you know, in, in Hummels back then and, and Piszczek, Schmelzer, and uh, actually Socrates at one point, they had quite a, a, a sturdy defence and Weidenfeller. Um, don't get the same impression now, even with an older Hummels there, even in a back three. But also I do think that Roman Berkey has never filled me with confidence. I mean, I don't what don't claim to watch Dortmund every single week. And some people say, well, he's very he's quite good with the ball at his feet and he does make he does have some good games. But certainly in some of the bigger games I've seen, he's very unconvincing and never seems to mm. give me the impression of a, a goalkeeper that should be playing for one of Europe's elite teams. He always seems to have a mistake in him. And he and I've seen it in the Bundesliga, in some of the bigger games uh, there. Uh, he, made, he was a horrendous in the game against Leipzig last year. It was 3-3. He was also arguably at fault when Dortmund played Bayern at Signal uh, Iduna Park and Kimmich did a chip, which he got a good hand to, still went into the back of the net. And also in some of the Champions League games I've seen him in, he's never really filled me with immense confidence. So they could certainly look mm-hmm. for an upgrade there, I feel. But I mean, this is you know, this is sort of European corner. I don't want it to entirely be German related, you know. Just to, just as a, a quick whistle stop through some of the other teams. I mean, you, you touched on it, James. PSG in tenth um, in the league and tenth, which is which is crazy. But I'll tell you what is crazier. I mean, within a few days of of them finishing the Champions League final, they were playing in league and because of course league and had already started before the Champions League had finished because. Um, the season restart never happened. They finished on a points per game uh, in France. So yeah, that's right. It's, it's a cra- it's, yeah. So I mean, you could argue that PSG. You could count the Champions League as this season for PSG in terms of fixtures because they had a big break and didn't come back. Mm. Uh, so they've had a long break, and then they had the Champions League, and then they've had the season. So they, you could almost count that all as as one in a sense. Uh, yeah, but it's yeah. <laughs> yeah it, it, I mean, it's crazy. I mean, we, 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 yeah. only only a few. I mean, they, they lost the first game one nil to Lons, but their team was really makeshift. Really makeshift. I mean, the big hitters weren't there. Uh, they were all having a bit of a rest. And then when they lost another game, uh, the second game that they lost against Marseille. Uh, that was a crazy, crazy game, which saw red cards left, right, and centre. Neymar got sent off for punching an opponent who he claimed was racist towards him. So it was yeah, all, saw, yeah, I remember that all game. quite bizarre. And then the first win that they had, James, was again uh, was in the uh, you know in the, against Mets in the in the ninety third minute. Um, and Julian Draxler scored. So it's not been easy at all for PSG. And I suppose, in a way, that is even though it's unfair on them because they've just they've just been in the Champions League final. It is good for the French league because you've got Rennes, Lille, Saint-Étienne and Montpellier in the top four. Rennes doing yeah. remarkably well. Um, in Ligue 1, I, 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 you know, I'll bow down to the knowledge of other experts uh, who know the league inside out, but it's a very good league for young players who can thrive and develop themselves. Uh, below PSG, yeah, yeah. there's so many competitive teams below the, you know, the, the huge, vast uh, PSG team that's you know, composed of so many superstars, it's actually a very competitive league. It is. It's a very competitive league. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, this season, it definitely will be. Um, yeah. I mean, you've got to look at, yeah, there's some good teams. You know, Ren did really well last year. Leon, strange last year, mm-hmm. finished seventh or mm-hmm. worst seventh when the season stopped. Um, mm-hmm. 
And I mean, when you look at the quality in that Leon squad, mm. still, I mean, a lot yeah. of them are still there. Uh, you know, Den Dembele and Depay and Oar, you know, some of these really top talents, and yet they weren't even in the Champions League places. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think some, I think at least, I think there's a chance at least one of those will leave mm-hmm. uh, this week. But we'll get onto that later. But yeah, it's a really interesting one. The French league, it's it's not it's not going to be a walkover for PSG this season, and that is a good thing. No, so, yes. Uh, although I don't think it'll be a good thing for Thomas Tuchel. No, no, um, <laughs> no. I don't. I, um, which is sad for him because he because he's been more successful than any PSG manager. Ever because he got to the Champions League final, no, yes, never been done before, yes. Uh, well, and didn't play well, didn't play badly in against Bayern Munich as well. No, no, so, it's very, very unlucky, I think. I mean, that's part one, actually. I'm going to call it of foreign corner because you know, we we, we covered actually two leagues there, league and and briefly, but mainly the Bundesliga there, but also there's so much really to go through. I suppose this is 15 minutes part two with with, with Serie A and La Liga because it's it's been. You know, I yeah. feel this. Is, I feel this is quite appropriate, actually, James, because given the situation, you know, not, you know, many people, football's coming back in lots of different forms and such. That uh, it's quite easy to miss out what's going on continentally, and there is quite a lot going on continentally. Just to, uh, we, we, I'm going to ma- maintain this is focused on uh, Italy and Spain, but I'd just like to say before that, and just a quick throwback to the Bundesliga in a sense, how great it was to see to watch Bundesliga games with fans in the stadiums. Because, of course, in Germany, um, mm-hmm. they are, uh, fans are allowed to attend, only a, a, a small number, granted. But you can see them scattered across the stadium to give the impression that there are fans watching and they were cheering and there, were not, there was none of this, you know, nonsense, I think, of, of not being allowed to cheer or support the team or clap, which we were told in, in England. Um, in Germany, it was quite the opposite. You saw teams waving scarves, cheering, shouting, come on, uh, you know, really getting involved in the in the atmosphere. And I think just, just before we move on to Italy and Spanish coverage, it, it's very pleasing, isn't it, that even if it, we're, we're quite a way off in England, it's nice to see what the future may look like uh, in Germany, where yeah. they're really making strides with, with, with uh, getting fans back into the into stadiums. Yeah, they are. They're, they're doing some good stuff there, Germany. They always seem to be quite ahead of the game in many ways. Yeah. And do things a lot better. Uh, and that's not the only thing they do better than us. Yeah. Um, penalties, <laughs> so, penalties, James. That's another thing. Yes, but VAR, for example. Yeah, oh yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. I but, mean that's 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 a whole different topic, but um No, I mean yeah. just it's in, in, in quick summary on that. I mean first to get the football back, first to finish the season first to get fans back at stadiums. I mean, it's been a quite an impressive performance, not only from the German government on, on, on coronavirus, but also how they've, how they've covered the sport and how they've managed to um, not navigate through the crisis completely, but they're doing a fine job of, of um, responding appropriately um, in comparison to maybe other countries, for example. Um, make up your mind on, on, on whoever. Make up your mind on which countries I may be talking about. But hey, you know, everyone deals with things in different ways. Anyway, Italy and Spain, of course. Well, the whole world, James, has been hit by coronavirus, but Italy and Spain now back in action also alongside Germany and alongside English teams. I mean, it's been quite, it's been quite interesting in both of these leagues, actually, because Antonio Conte lost the Europa League final. Um, mm-hmm. 
it seemed like he might be going, but then he's now staying. And it's almost like, to me, it reminds, it's a bit of a Last of a Summer Wine kind of um, event with Antonio Conte, because he seems to be getting um, those in the twilight of the careers, because maybe, I think, because he knows you've got the right kind of characters there, um, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of experience, they're going to run through walls often. I mean, one interesting one I found what, who Inter brought on was Alexander Kolarov. Um, from, yeah. You know, I mean... To, uh, Moment, yeah. Yeah, former Man City man, and he's slotted in at left centre back in in in, in Conte's three at the back system, and they won four three this weekend. Um, you know, in in their match, so it's certain Ericsson was played as the number ten, uh, but got taken off after sixty five minutes. Lukaku, I believe, with the late winner, um, but yeah, no, I, I suppose four three sort of sums it up. No, th- certainly. No dull moments under Antonio Conte on the touch. No, there. there's never a dull moment under him. No, <laughs> and, and, and not in that respect either. I mean, um, you know, what 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 do you make of his sort of signings, though, Jez? I mean, not just uh, Kolarov, but also Arturo Vidal, who you know, you go back yeah. three or four, three or four. He wanted him at Chelsea, didn't he? I mean, then he would have been an yeah, incredible he's a, signing. But. He's like his Jorginho in many ways. He's he's mm. he's, he's, he's on the record as saying he's he's the guy I would go to war with. Like every you know whatever. Mm. Um, the one player I go to war with, whatever. Uh, and yeah, he wanted him at Chelsea, uh, mm. and he's wanted him. I think he's wanted him at Inter since he went there. Mm. Um, he has this kind of history of wanting experienced players mm. wherever he goes. At Chelsea, he wanted a lot of. One of the reasons they fell out with the Chelsea ball was that he wanted a lot of experienced players to sign. People like Benucci and you know Manz- uh, Manzukic, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, like and Chelsea just didn't want to entertain that because it didn't fit their policy, uh, and yeah, uh, and I think that also he wants he wants immediate success. He's a mm. he's not a kind of philosophy project manager. He is a kind of a I want to go in, I want to win as soon as possible kind of manager. Uh, and they got they got very close to the title last year, mm-hmm. the Serie A league title, and. You know, that's, that'll be their goal this year, to win mm. that. Uh, I mean, and they've got a chance. I think they want to sign... I've got a feeling they want to sign a, a left-back because they're looking at both of Chelsea's left-backs <laughs> right now. Um, Alonso and Emerson, they want to sign one of them, I think. Uh, which is, again, not a surprise. He's, he's worked with both of them, likes both of them. So, yeah, uh, they've got a good chance this season, especially because Juventus have an inexperienced manager. Mm. You know, uh, and yeah, there's no guarantees there, and they haven't really strengthened that much yet. Juventus, they are. They look, looks like they're trying to sign a few players. Mm. Well, they got Alvaro. Uh, Morata, they've got Morata, haven't they? Yeah, they signed Morata yeah. this week, which yeah. I thought I thought was quite funny as a Chelsea fan. I mean, just Chelsea just sold Morata to. Um, I said to go Madrid for forty-eight million, and the first thing they do is loan him out mm-hmm. um, with an option to buy for almost the same amount. And uh, yeah, so he'll probably do. He'll probably do well at Juventus. He did well at Juventus before when Andre Pirlo was there, of course, as a player. Yes, indeed. So... Yeah, that's probably one of the reasons he wants him. So um, he probably rates him. Um, I mean, and he did yeah. actually say a lot when he was at Chelsea that he wanted to go back to Italy. Mm. At some point, uh, it was a so, big game player for them, wasn't he? I mean, he did, I think he got a yeah. goal in the Champions League final, did he not? Uh, for Juventus, he might have done, yeah. He I feel like done. he did. He was, yeah. 
He was a big guy. Morata. He's like 27, I think, now. 26, 27. And he's really not fulfilled his potential yet. Mm. And uh, Well, it's interesting, actually. Juventus under, under Pirlo have gone from Maurizio Sarri's 4-3-3 and, I suppose, um, Max Allegri's 4-2-3-1, and they've gone back to the three at the back. Uh, under under Andrea Pirlo, and uh, it's, it seems to be a three-five-two with Ronaldo up front, uh, which which to me yeah. almost screams it's going to be Alvaro Morata and Ronaldo as the front two, with, with him coming in. So that it'll be interesting actually. What I've noticed with uh, what people have t- noticed about Juventus under Pirlo is that they seem to play a less structured style. I mean, Maurizio Sarri's uh, style of play was very positional based, and and and, you, and when it worked, you yeah. know. As is the case with Maurizio Sarri, when people fully um, embrace, understand, and uh, look and enjoy playing that style, it can be very, very effective. I suppose the same with Manchester City, Guardiola, Arteta, and maybe Arsenal. You see signs of that, but it didn't really work too well, or as well as Juventus would have liked last year, went out in the Champions League. But with Pirlo, apparently, and I suppose this fits his demeanour, it's a lot more relaxed. Um, you know, there's been a formation change. And, of course, Ronaldo's got three goals now. He got a 2-2 draw in the timing of this podcast. We've just finished a 2-2 draw with Roma away from yep. home, which isn't too bad a result, actually, seeing as Roma's one of Italy's uh, stronger outfits. Um, but uh, Ronaldo with three goals in two games. So he's he's clearly liking the 3-5-2, which I suppose, actually, when you think about it, gives it gives him a good uh, platform to do well, Ronaldo, because... Um, Having someone like Murata, who's a bit a bit of a selfless striker, I would say. He, he, you know, he, he, I don't think he's one of those that necessarily, you know, wants to score all the time, wants to be the star of the show. I think he's happy to bring others into play and work for others uh, when he's happy. Um, and that maybe Ronaldo alongside could really benefit from someone like that in that system. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's true. Murata's um, quite selfless. He's not. He's not got that clinical, ruthless edge mm. of the really elite strikers like he wants to score himself. Mm. Uh, and he does tend to drop back and link up more. He's not really a target man. So, yeah, it kind of suits Ronaldo uh, because it just allows him the freedom. And having, having like five in midfield and three at the back behind him also kind of releases him from defensive responsibilities as well mm. just frees him up to express himself um you when you've got Ronaldo in your in your squad and he's still clearly a top player at the, you know at the mm. top of his form you've got to you've got to try and build a team that's going to play to his strengths mm. and allow I mean, him to do what he does because just, uh when he when he does what he what he can do but he's <laughs> obviously he's a world-class player but just a word on Napoli as well six nil win today against Genoa Lozano with yep. two goals. Of course, they've got Victor Osimhen and also might keep Koulibaly at this rate with City going for Ruben Diaz um, instead. Yes, so, I mean, Gattuso is a, is a polarising figure as manager of, of Napoli. Certainly coming after Ancelotti, very different kind of oh. character. <laughs> but Napoli's got some good players and, and, you know, from my point of view, maybe could do particularly well in the league this year. I mean, that's quite a statement when 6-0 on only the second their only their second game of the season. And of course, you know, Milan as well uh, doing doing relatively well, although Ibrahimovic uh, 2-0 win against uh, Crotone today, um again on Sunday, but uh, Ibrahimovic um has uh, coronavirus or as Ibrahimovic said, 
coronavirus has Zlatan, I think, is what he, he went yeah, with. Yeah, that's right. There was this joke going around when it, when it, when it, when it, when it, when that news broke, it was like, um, yeah, um, pass on, we pass on our sympathies to coronavirus at this difficult time. Very true. <laughs> yeah. no, no, no one wants to take that on. No one wants to no. take that on. And just, um, just as so, a quick segue before we uh, get lost again in another uh, 15 minute call, but, um, you know, in La Liga, uh, one of the big stories actually was Suarez going to Atletico Madrid for six million euros. Messi not happy. Suarez coming off the bench against Granada with a goal and an assist. Um, yep. I mean, the idea of Suarez and Diego Costa up front together is quite scary. But in all fairness, it's probably going to be um, João Felix and um, and Luis Suarez. It just seems to be a, a more of a they seem to complement yeah. each other more really. Um, but you know that's a really coo- that's a coup for Atletico, isn't it? And although just before you we, we talk about that, I mean Barcelona against Villarreal, potentially tough game, win four nil. Ansu Fati scores twice, Messi from the spot, and that and yeah, the four looking good, yeah, four nil up at half time, and Coutinho's back starting in the number ten position with Busquets and De Jong in behind in a double pivot, um, Griezmann up top, Messi and and Fati are flanking, so that's going to be interesting. I mean. Two, two quick questions there. I mean, uh, Real Madrid sort of staggered to a 3 2 win against Betis as well, but just keeping this uh, in the time limit, I suppose, uh, I'll, I'll, two questions for you, James. One, how good a signing or much of a coup is the Luis Suarez deal? And also, uh, can Barcelona benefit by making Coutinho a regular in that 10 position as opposed to farming him off? Hey, yeah, Suarez, I think that's a real coup because. He's still a quality player. I mean, he, you know, yeah, you know, Barcelona needed a bit of a rebuild. The problems at Barcelona are probably not with as much the players as the club and the toxic atmosphere at the club, which is still there because when you saw Messi's comments when Suarez left, like, he didn't really hold anything back. Um, so it's not it's it's a toxic atmosphere there, and I think a fresh start for him as well might is probably good for him. Uh, and yeah, when you've got people like Yao Felix kind of feeding you and creating things for you, uh, and he's a, he's a Simeone and player as well, isn't he? And the system that they play, it kind of suits him in a way. He's um, a Simeone so, player as well, though, isn't he, James? He's very, oh, you know, yeah, he is, yeah. absolutely, mm. without any question. <laughs> yeah, he's a real fighter, yeah, literally. Uh, um, so, yeah. But, and lastly, though, James, you, also, you know. <laughs> Is, is Coutinho, a, is, he, is he a Barcelona player? Is he going to prove it if he gets regular? Well, I'd, I'd like, I'd, I, when I heard that I hadn't actually seen the game, uh, I didn't, so I, don't know what the, I didn't know what the tactical setup was, but when you told me that, I thought, uh, well, that's, that's smart, because if you're going to keep Coutinho, then build it, then build, build it all around him. Make, put him in his best position, which is who's, the number yeah, Who's 10. this messy fellow? Forget and, that. like... Well, Messi could play anywhere. That's the thing about Messi; like he could play anywhere. So put him, put him in his best position, which is ten. Have other attackers around him, like, and then you can you can still let Messi do his thing. Mm. Like Messi's going to be effective wherever he plays. I mean, he's not like going to you know suddenly disappear if you put him. And he's played on the right anyway before and been really effective. Mm. So if you if you've got Coutinho and you, you, you you've got him there, and maybe you can't get rid of him, keep mm. him. And put him in his best position, and he might actually be effective. And it looks like he was today. It and Fatty's yeah. an, an excellent young talent. He's 17 yeah. years old, I think. 
Yeah. I uh, got two goals, two goals today. Yeah. Um, I saw one of them. It was, it was fantastic. Um, yeah. He's a big talent. And I mean, he's the I, kind of talent I need to be promoting right he now. He absolutely is. I mean, I feel sorry for Barcelona. I mean, they've just tried so hard to get rid of Coutinho and Messi. I mean, what can they um, yeah. what can they do with those two on the field? I will never know. Anyway, uh, I know you're looking forward to this one, so this is, a, this is an interesting diversion back to England. And it's sort of comparative piece, actually, between three managers who sort of always soak up opinions on, on social media, and that's uh, the three boys on work experience, I suppose. I say boys, they're all <laughs> significantly older than me. Um, but Frank Lampard, Oli Gunnar Solskjaer and, um, and Mikel Arteta, three managers who are still maybe to earn their badges. I mean, they've all got the coaching badges, but to earn their um, badges in the hearts of those that judge them, which is everyone on social media, mm-hmm. um, which is, is, yeah. is no mean feat uh, when you look at Twitter. Absolutely. It can be quite difficult. But um, I suppose I'll, I'll let you go with this, James. I mean, initial thoughts, really. I mean, the three of them are in a similar position, I guess, in, in, in that level of uh, needing to prove themselves in the, in the managerial game. Um, and I, I, I suppose the floor is yours, and I'll chirp in with my thoughts when, as and when I want to. Yeah, I've got some thoughts on each of them. I mean, I'll finish with Frank Lampard, because I'm, I'm, I'm going to be biased with him, obviously. Mm-hmm. But Arteta, for, to start with, always had a very good football brain, even as a player. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... Then he worked very closely with Pep Guardiola for three years. Mm. Uh, like his right hand man would have watched him at work, learned from him, listened to him. Uh, he was a key part of his team, and you can't not learn from working with someone like that. You know, coaching at the highest level, Premier League, Champions League, you know, uh, with top players, and someone as intelligent and talented as Arteta would have picked a lot up from that, and probably contributed a lot to. Their success. I mean, if you look at the All or Nothing documentary, you can see he has a lot of influence. So, he had a lot of influence when he was there. So, I think he's the one that is, uh, he was the best prepared coming to his club in terms of um, a bit of a, a firstly potential, but also but above all, kind of, kind of his kind of. Apprenticeship. He'd done an apprenticeship under Pep Guardiola. Just, just to counter that, though, James, I know... You, I'm going to get to our school score in a minute, but... <laughs> just as a counter, though, um, and you could probably answer these in, in, your, in your own... You're probably going to cover these, but I just my initial thought was, of course, you say Arteta's the best prepared, but he's also the person without any formal managerial experience beforehand. Of course, Solskjaer has That's been at, at Mulder uh, twice get, yeah. and Cardiff. <laughs> And uh, also the Man United Reserves. Yeah. It had almost ten years managerial service, and uh, of course yeah, you right. get in there. But as well, Frank Lampard, a full season with Derby, got them in, in the Championship as well. So would have learnt quite a bit in that time, no doubt. Whereas Arteta actually had only ever been in the shadows, I guess, of Guardiola around his setup. Yeah, and I, I actually think that it's it's good for a. A, a manager who wants to be a manager to kind of have a stewardship under another manager. I mean, Jose Mourinho had, I think, six, four, five, six years with Bob Robson, and then another few years with Louis Van Gaal uh, before he became a manager. And John Terry is doing that now. He's, he's an assistant at Aston Villa. Uh, he wants to be a manager, and he probably will be at some point, but he's doing a stewardship now, an apprenticeship, learning you know, as an assistant. 
And yeah, I mean, you're right about Solskjaer. I was going to say that Solskjaer has been manager for about, like, was it ten years almost? Yeah, roughly, yeah. Years. He was shockingly poor at Cardiff. He was. Um, yeah. He spent a lot of money and got relegated, which isn't a good sign. Uh, and yeah, he went to Norway, and the three years he was at Mold, they won nothing. Uh, and the the year before he joined, and the year after he left, they they won the league, I think. Uh, so. He returned though, and he, and he you know, uh, he, he I, that I'm not a big a fan of his as a as a coach, to be honest. He's the he's like the third on the list for me. I think I think he understands Manchester United. He has a vision of the kind of team that he wants to build there, which is good. Um, and targeting the right kind of player, I guess. Uh, you know, lots of young English talent. Um, talent that's going to improve United. They've recruited well. Under so under Solskjaer so far, um, in terms of the players that they brought in, and not in terms of how they brought them in, that's been shocking. But uh, yeah, uh, but I don't rate. I just don't rate him as a tactician or a coach. Uh, I don't think. I mean, if they don't get Sancho this week, and uh, they're going to be, they're not going to, they're not going to make the top four, especially with Tottenham improving their squad significantly. Mm. Uh, potentially more this week, you know, mm. possibly screener and a striker on top of Bale and um, the others that are signed. And uh, obviously Arsenal, who's recruited well with Arteta. I'm not sure. I mean, I, I, even with Sancho, I'm not even sure they would make top four. So I, I don't, I'm not, I don't think he's the long-term answer at Man United. Mm. Uh, I don't think he will be. Uh, Man United seem to have a habit of changing managers if they don't qualify for the Champions League. So, yeah, he's got to qualify for the Champions League. Um, as a, as a man manager, though, James, as a man manager, you know, he took over quite a toxic, apparently toxic oh, yeah. changing room. Yeah, he was good at, yes, he was good at changing the mood. of the, like, It's like Di Matteo at Chelsea was, did that. He kind of brought that connection back with the club and the fans and he got players back into thinking about what Man United is all about and, yeah, you know, this Solskjaer, I mean, and yeah, they played well for a while, but but after the honeymoon period ended, it, it kind of tailed off for quite a long time until basically until they kind of bought Fernandez, mm. and then uh, and then he came in and kind of transformed their season. As, as I always say, James, though, with that, I mean the, that season where they were struggling to make the top four pre-Fernandez was also without, and I, I've mentioned this a lot, but also without Paul Pogba, who was injured for the bulk of that season, which yeah, left them true. very short okay. of quality. And it also meant that he had to fast-track the likes of Mason Greenwood and Brandon Williams into the first team because there simply yeah. weren't the options there otherwise. I mean, we saw yeah. he gave Greenwood plenty of opportunities post-restart and he's you know now developing into what looks like a very good player. Brandon Williams as well um, had to come in because of the lack of cover for Luke Shaw, you know, and he was sort of fast-tracked in. So, in a way, I think he's very good, isn't he, I suppose, in covering up the um, the um, the failings, I suppose, of, of, of the Manchester United board in failing to make a squad Absolutely, that was, yes. that was um, you know, had lots of depth to it because there really isn't a lot of depth to that United squad, but Solskjaer's found ways to, to work around that. Yeah, I'm not saying he's done a bad job. I think, in fact, I think he's done a pretty good job. Uh, but I, I mean, when you're Man United, you're, you you want to be competing with like Manchester City, 
and Liverpool and winning Premier Leagues, winning Champions Leagues. And, you know, I don't see him as, the ma- as a manager who is capable of doing that. I think, I think he is laying a good foundation in terms of his recruitment, in terms of developing, the, like bringing players like Greenwood through from the academy, mm. um, building a kind of more of a philosophy mm. in terms of the Man United way, playing attacking football, developing young players, all of that. Getting Man United back to what Man United are, he will lay good foundations for somebody else to build on. Mm. I think that's okay. my. I could be wrong. If I'm wrong, I'll happily admit I'm wrong. But but I I don't see him as a guy who's going to win Champions Leagues and Premier Leagues. And just before you get onto Lampard, I'll I'll I'll, I'll sort of summarize, I'll summarize with this. I was looking somewhere and someone made the comment, which is fair enough, that I think it was on Talksport that if. Um, uh, so if you know the top six were asked, would they take Ole Gunnar Solskjaer as their manager at the football club? No one would say, other than Man United, would say we'll take him. But that's fair enough. But surely, if everyone in the top six was offered Frank Lampard as the manager, a similar response would probably be had. Because again, this is a man who hasn't yet proven his credentials. Okay, he took Derby to the playoff final, but that was a Derby team. Many people said could have probably gone up automatically. A lot of money had been spent. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, on that team. So what's the difference, in your opinion, between Frank Lampard and Solskjaer? Well, Frank Lampard will be a manager for two years, for a start. In his year at Derby, they got, into the, they got into the playoffs, which people didn't expect them to, uh, and um, beat a very good lead side on the way as well. Mm. Um, to doing that, also knocked out Man United of the League Cup, mm. by the way. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you're right in that he's not proven himself to have those credentials yet. However, I do think, when you look at Chelsea last year, they had a transfer ban, couldn't buy any players. He, didn't have, he had players that he didn't really want, didn't really fit how he wanted to play. And, and a lot of academy players who'd never played in the Premier League or had little experience in the Premier League uh, and most people didn't think they would finish in the top four last season. Lot, most most people predict they'd finish fifth or sixth, maybe even lower. And in the end, it, they, yeah, they finished fourth, and they got to the mm. FA Cup final. Mm. Uh, and they beat, and along the way to the FA Cup final, they beat some good. They beat they beat Leicester. They beat Liverpool. Um, he did the double over Jose Mourinho, which no manager's ever done. Uh, he and that ta- that was that, you know, that was tactically more than anything else. Uh, and he beat all the top managers last year. I mean, I mean, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer did beat some as well. I mean, that's not you know to be fair. But I think to do that in his second year of management and with a transfer ban and you know having to kind of adapt himself to what he had was promising for me. He's admitted he's made he made mistakes last year as well, uh, which is a good sign. He's added to the coaching staff this summer. Um, he's brought in a guy from Wigan who is being seen as a kind of a defensive coach who's got a, a track record of organising defence as well. You know, so he recognises the need to improve that area. But yeah, the yeah he's got to prove himself. Yes, signed a lot of players this summer. Could sign one more. Hmm. And yeah. when they will fit and everyone and in the team, 
then we'll see what uh, what philosophy he wants to play, how he wants to play, and then the pressure will be on because he said it himself. You know, they, he's got to. They've got. There's got to be an improvement this um, this year mm. at Chelsea. I just say so, I was being devil's advocate. I know you're a Chelsea fan, so I was trying to. Um, I actually do like Lampard. I'm just sort of trying to prod. To get the thing, I like all three of them actually. I, I, I like to try and see the positivity when people get slated and criticised. I think actually there's often a bigger picture to all of this, and I think all three of them deserve merits in in, in different ways. Um, but in, in, in a kind of summary way to to respond to this, I've sort of come up with a little table in my head here, um, and I guess managers, are, you know, the, the various managers are expected. to to do well on what their best 11 is and what their best squad is. I mean, if they've got a very, very good first 11, you think, oh, well, they can do this and this. But then you've also got to remember the squad behind it is important yeah. and, and dictates what how much you can really challenge for. Now, comparing those three, I feel like Lampard has the best 11 and best squad available going into this season is what I would I, think. I think that's fair, yeah. Yeah. That seems to be... because, And that's largely down to the... To the extravagant transfer window that we're seeing unfold. Um, so yeah. the expectation is for him to finish third, probably. Yes, I think that's the expectation too. To finish third, to get more points than last year, mm. to be more consistent than last year, mm. um, better performances, mm. those things. You know, If he finishes third and gets 80, 85 points or whatever, uh, that will be success. Mm. And also, I think they want to win a trophy this year as well. Yeah, uh, I think yeah. that that team really want to win a trophy this year. So, if he finishes third with more points, better performances, more consistency, wins a trophy, mm. then he's definitely he's proved. I think when he's proved himself, but he's certainly earned another season. I think he's getting three seasons at Chelsea unless unless it goes drastically wrong and the Chelsea are kind of mid-table. Yeah. Um, or out of Europe completely, yeah. then he will get an, get a third season. And just uh, but the th- I mean, after the third season, that's when they'll make a big make a decision. Like if he if in the third season Chelsea challenge for the title and they're getting to the final stage of the Champions League and mm. competing for trophies, yeah. then he keeps his job longer than that. If they uh, if they don't, then then he won't, and he'll know that he's he's he knows how Chelsea works more than anyone. And so I don't think he would ever get to the point where he'd make them sack him. He would know. Um, yeah, because of, because of his respect for the club and the owner, and he knows the owner and everything, he would probably just walk away. He doesn't need the money for for a payoff. Um, and, and briefly, I suppose we well, obviously yeah. Lampard there, but briefly, I, I would I have it down as that I think Solskjaer has a better eleven than Arteta does, but I think Arteta has a better squad than maybe Arteta has in terms of the depth that it has. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, yeah. So I think Arsenal will finish above Manchester United. I think they will unless United unless. get to... Well, I, w- I had them down as fourth because I thought they would sign Sancho and another. If they don't sign Sancho and another, I think, yeah, although Solskjaer has an arguably better first eleven than, than Arteta, I think he does, um, over the course of the season, particularly this season, a squad's going to be important and Arteta has more options quite you know comfortably across, across the team. Yeah, um, so great. a better squad is probably going to beat a better first 11 generally yeah and that was actually Man United's problem in the FA Cup last year because Solskjaer played the same 11 for a lot for about 10-15 yeah. games after lockdown mm. and then he tried to change it up in the FA Cup and 
in the semi-final and they lost spectacularly so and they were very poor so yeah that's absolutely right they need they don't have that depth at the moment mm, at all. No, no. they need they probably need a center back i would say they probably need a uh they need a right winger but yeah an, an elite yeah. one uh uh and at the moment, even they could, you, you need a striker as well. But it, they need yeah. a lot. I think. I think both teams are, are quite. They, they're not the neither neither teams are finished article. They do need quite a bit. I mean, that's actually seventeen minutes of football. But with good editing, that can be fifteen. So I'm putting that on the editor to really um, to really do his thing and make me proud. But on this final sort of segment, this is sort of a roundup actually. And you know, transfers that have happened, transfers that might happen. We're in the we're in the closing stage of this crazy transfer window and um, you know there's been a lot that's happened already there's going to probably be more that happens maybe we can focus a bit on the more that happens with a touch on what's already happened um, and I guess um, I guess you know you, you touched on it there James actually we'll touch on it you haven't mentioned we haven't talked at length with Tottenham uh, slightly controversial 1-1 draw today against Newcastle um, <laughs> yeah um, that's it's been a strange weekend uh, of, of football all around um, I mean what, 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 do we, what do we think about Tottenham now I mean they've got Regulio, they've got Gareth Bale uh, they're looking at Milan Skriniar um, to go next to um, well I mean they don't really have a consistent centre-back partner but Jose Mourinho seems to like Eric Dyer so you'll be alongside Eric Dyer I would imagine Eric Dyer yeah I mean Although I think with Reguilion and with and with and with, and with Matt Doherty now, and you know the the, the attacking nature that both of those uh, fullback slash wingbacks provide, it makes sense almost to become almost like a three at the back, a permanent three at the back. It, that Spurs team. Yeah, he played a four-three-three today. Yeah, um, and uh, they've got a problem now because Son is now out for quite a while because yeah. he's got a, got a bad injury today. Um, that's a that's a problem for them. But, uh, and yeah, but I mean, Gareth Bale, I mean, I still think he's a good player, a very yeah, good player. Just he's, player. Yeah, just, he's just so fit, you know, he's had, he's saying he's had 13 injuries in the last three years, you know, mm. he needs to stay, if he can stay fit for a large part of the season, then Spurs will do well. Do they need Skriniar? As well. They've got Song, who will come back from injury, I'm sure. They've got Lucas Moura. So and Bergwijn as well. They've got decent attacking options, Spurs. Uh, if they get screen all that really improves their defence. Yeah. Do they uh, need it? Hoiberg is, is is a solid midfield signing, you know, to give them that kind of stability, security midfield that Mourinho likes. Do they need so screen all chance for the top four if they get those players? And uh, yeah, I think they've. I think they've. It's funny because a lot in the earlier summer we were thinking like everyone was saying Spurs can only deal with free transfers this summer. <laughs> It looks like clubs have kind of reassessed financially later on in the window and yep. decided, oh, we have got money to spend. Liverpool mm. have been the same, and that's why they've got they spent about eighty million now, I think, this summer. Mm. So, so um, which makes their kind of non-pursuit of Timo Werner look more embarrassing. Clever. Yeah. Um, so really? <laughs> you really think? You really think? I don't know. I think. Uh, I don't know. You know he's. He's going to do well wherever he goes. He, I would not have wanted him to go to Liverpool at all. No, uh, but I, I do think though. I, I do think if they had a choice between Thiago and Thiago and Jota or Timo Werner, those two. Oh do, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you've yeah. Got those, to think, those two, you choose that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I agree. Yeah, 
Um, so, yeah, but uh, so, yeah, those, those, yes, those is going to be an interesting one to watch this week. What about Man United? Time. I mean, they're, Man United, well, that's going to be another one. Yeah, because yeah. there's rumours today of another bid for Sancho, uh, and you know, but it's interesting because Dortmund are very adamant they want their money. They want the money they want for him, and they will not sell for anything less than that. Yeah. But if Man United try to undercut that, they will get turned down. Mm. <laughs> it's as simple as that. Um, Dortmund are not gonna um, not gonna be uh, flexible on this. Yeah. So, and I think actually Santa would be happy to stay there. He doesn't look like he's angling to leave or pushing to leave or unhappy. Uh, I think he's. I think he'd be quite happy to stay another season. Well, I mean, well, next I... summer, next summer there'll be loads of clubs in for him. Probably better clubs than Manchester United, to be honest. I'm not I... sure that Man United is the best club for him. Even I would rather see him. Like, next summer, you could have every big club in the world in for him, and you have his pick. I mean, I've muted um, <laughs> Wilfred Zaha for United as a, as a maybe more yeah. Re- reasonable option. We, I mean, I, I know it was, I know it's different, cool. Sancho. But I tell you what, Wilfred Zahar is some player. I mean, he, he seems to go. Oh, he is. You know, he he's is. a really, really good player, and, and for whatever reason, the, the interest cooled in him a bit this year. And apparently, by all accounts, his fee, his, his valuation's lower than last year because one, um, he's a year, he's a further year down on his contract, and two, also the club of the club have apparently said, you know, if we do get a good offer, him, we'll be a bit less rigid. Than we were last year when Arsenal came calling and they, I think they were asking for 70 million. I've heard talk about 40 or 50 and I'm a bit shocked, to be honest, that, that there hasn't been a bid in or, or someone to test that resolve because as we've seen for Palace already at the start of this season, he's, he's, ex, he's, a, he's got, he's strong, he's quick, he's skillful, technically very good. Yes, he's uh, 28, but you've still probably got all of those attributes for at least another three or four years. And he's going yeah, to have but, so yeah, I mean, much... Actually, for Manchester United, he would fit them really well because he can play up front, mm. he can play wide, he can yeah. play other side wide. He wouldn't need to adapt to the Premier League no. um, at all. Uh, the only thing about it is that <laughs> he went. He worked under Solskjaer before and it was a disaster. And he also went to Man United before and it was a disaster. So. Uh, you know, he's probably a, he's a much better player now than he was then. I mean, mm. uh, obviously, he's a much more complete player and uh, it would probably be different. But, yeah, he would be... I mean, I actually think that that would be a good fit. You're right. If they can't get Jadon Sancho, then getting Zaha for 40 million would definitely be a good signing for them. And just to touch yeah. on a few others, because we'll try and whiz through as many names as we can, really, in quick style fashion. I mean... Jorginho's been linked with a move to PSG and to Arsenal. I mean, a lot of people yeah. have said Jorginho would be, you know, apparently when uh, he was linked with Manchester City, Arteta was a big admirer, as was Pep, when, when uh, Guardiola, when he was at Man City, he was very close to going to Man City and then he went to Chelsea uh, yeah, at the last well, minute. Um, it does seem like he'd probably fit an Arteta team, an Ar- that Arsenal team that likes to be you know, constantly moving the ball and, and patting in a progressive way. It does seem like, you know, considering what he's done with Granit Xhaka as well, a player many had considered to be pretty much useless uh, until Arteta had come in, you know, makes him look almost like a world beater at times. It, it could be a good manager for, for, for Jorginho to maybe read yeah, his exactly. Yeah, that, that would be a good move for Jorginho. Mm. Uh, like you say, he fits the style of play. He, uh, he, 
you have, with Jorginho, you have to kind of build around him. Um, he can't fit into, he can't adapt to many different systems. Mm. He's a very specific kind of player. So if you, ha- if you have him, you have to build around him to get the best out of him. That's how Mauricio Sarri got the best out of him, is that he built kind of his team around him. He built the system mm. around him. So, uh, but I think yeah, either of those two clubs would be, would, would be good for him. But mm. um, the French league is probably a bit of a slower pace than the English league, which would, mm. he might want. Uh, so, yeah, I do think he will leave this week, and mm. it'll probably be alone. Mm. I suspect um, because Chelsea. This is this will bring on to another transfer. Mm. Thing that happen would be um, Declan Rice moving to Chelsea. How likely is He's that? Do you think? Sorry, I How think it's. I think it's becoming more likely by the day. Mm. Um, from what I've heard, Declan Rice wants to move to Chelsea. His whole family are Chelsea fans. He's a Chelsea fan. Um, he's best friends with Mason Mount um, and kind of idolises Frank Lampard. He really wants to move to Chelsea. Um, he won't push for it. He won't hand in a transfer request or anything like that. But he definitely wants to move. It's just about whether Chelsea will pay the money and agree a fee with West Ham. And West Ham don't have any money. Their owner literally came out the other day and said, we don't have any money for players, <laughs> which kind of felt like a preparing the way to sell your best asset kind of I know, I know how West Ham fans feel to be honest um, but um, Michael and Burnley not doing too much either but that's usually the case anyway Covid or no no Covid um, yeah, I heard um, Sean Dyche's comments today which were a bit not great no yeah uh, <laughs> not not ideal um, but hopefully there's some uh, people at the Stoke City retirement home ready to um, ready to ready to have another crack at the Premier League. That seems yeah, to be nice, what's... I'd, yeah, nice if Burnley could sign a couple of players. Yeah, uh, it would. Um, but uh, yeah, no, Jorginho. I also actually Callum Hudson the is not getting lots of action recently. Even when he came, I know he came off the bench and and put in a really good performance. I actually thought he should have started. Like, in my head, I thought with the lack of options available now, you know, I I thought he'd be getting quite a few games to begin the season. Um, yeah. He's been linked with a few moves, actually, mainly on loan. He's linked with Bayern Munich again, probably regurgitated. Also linked with Everton. And also, someone else, it's not a link, but someone suggested, well, Solskjaer could probably do something quite good with him at Manchester United. I think he will stay at Chelsea this window. That's what I've been told as well by people. Um, most kind of reliable Chelsea sources are saying that. There was an issue with, I think there was, from what, I, what I've read, there was some kind of, between the lines, there was some issue with Lampard and, and the player behind the scenes with attitude or um, something to do with, um, yeah, off-pitch off stuff. And basically, I think he just was just challenging the player to step up, step it up, like he did with Pulisic last year a little bit. Uh, and he's responded to that. I mean, this week, he was pretty decent. He, he's pretty decent in the second half against um, Barnsley in the League Cup. And then he was brilliant yesterday. Mm. And Lampard was kind of praising him, made a point of praising him after the game. Uh, so I don't think he'll be. I don't think he'll be leaving Chelsea. Mm. Certainly not this window. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if he starts in the League Cup on Tuesday just, against Tottenham. Just randomly, though, I know it wasn't a link. It wasn't a rumor as such, but it was just a suggestion. He, he probably would be quite good under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, wouldn't he? Oh, he He's probably would. Type, yeah, he, that's he would, the type yeah, of would. player who he would. Probably really like to manage as well. Um, yeah, Lampard is a big fan of Hudson Odoi. He, he, um, I think he's just trying to. It's, it's part of his man management. He's trying to get the best out of him and 
help him be the best he can be. I feel like, not um, to go back to the previous section, but Lampard's a bit more disciplinary than Solskjaer, who's more like a care bear, isn't he, almost? He, he, yeah, uh, Lampard he, has very, very high standards. I actually heard a podcast with Lampard and Jake Humphrey, which was recorded very recently. Yeah, yeah. Where he talks about, like, his non-negotiable, you know, um, work ethic, training, you know, being prompt, um, and you know, supporting your teammates when you're not playing, all these kind of things. He's got very high standards um, in terms of work ethic, attitude, character, all those things. And if you don't meet them, then you don't play, uh, no matter who you are. So uh, if someone, I mean, he believes in hudson Adoy's ability. So if he wasn't playing, there's obviously another reason. Yeah. Um, and I think that it's probably something to do with that without suggesting anything. Yeah. Um, it, it, that it, because it can't have been to do with his ability. I mean, no. because Hudson Odoi has got huge potential. So, mm. uh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, it's interesting. That's an interesting thing. That actually, interesting. you're right. Yeah, I mean, another just on a just on a, on a side note as well. I mean, Everton doing really well, but one area of weakness, according to some, maybe the goalkeeping play position. I have mm-hmm. suggested that he's, there's been rumours about Sergio Romero going because one, you're getting an experienced performer, but also some not someone who's necessarily going to automatically just freeze Pickford out completely. He's still, because he's a, he's a more experienced player, usually the number two, but still very capable, I think, in many people's eyes of being a number one. He was for Argentina, played in a World Cup final, played in big European yeah. games. Uh, someone like that might be good for Pickford because at the moment it, it does seem to be uh, yeah. Pickford all the time through, through whatever happens. Yeah, that's right. I think he needs some competition, healthy competition for his play, someone to push him. Someone to uh, someone more experienced as well would help him as well, mentally maybe you know, and just be able to pass on a bit of advice. You know, goalkeepers often train together separately from the rest, so there's a little bit of a kind of goalkeepers club um, going on. So yeah, something like that would be a shrewd little signing for Everton, and he's available I think as well. So yeah, that's a good call. And then Arsenal as well, Awa from Leon, who we've already touched on, very, very good player, but also um, linked with, uh, he's going to escape, you know, Thomas Partey as well. Uh, I, I think Partey is becoming a bit less likely now because um, obviously they've got Ceballos back on loan. And um, they're also, Lacazette's also pro- featuring quite prominently early on uh, at the recording of this podcast. And I think the Partey deal, from what I understood was related to Lacazette maybe going freeing up the funds for Partey but now Lacazette's doing okay um, it might mean they focus on Aouar for a bit of creative spark because one criticism I think so far of Arsenal is without Ozil this, and this was the same you know pre- in previous years without Ozil very few players who can do the eye of a needle pass it's a lot built on teams you know team play opening them up as opposed to one individual creating you know a brilliant chance yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, um, he's got a very good organised system there at um, at Arsenal. Aor is a quality player, a uh, real quality player. He would really improve Arsenal. Yeah, create um, creative talent in short distances. I think you got Xhaka who can dictate from deep. Jorginho, another who they've been linked with, can dictate from deep. Ceballos also, yeah. but no one <laughs> like uh, I don't know. Uh, I mean, Kevin De Bruyne can do both, but someone like a David Silva who can do the short distance passes, a bit like Awa, um, Fernandez, yes. uh, someone in that ilk. They need someone who to just to, just to break those deep blocks, uh, make it a bit easier for them. 
Right, I think that sort of covers that, and that covers all five topics because I split the foreign leagues into two because there's quite a lot to cover. Um, this should be on Spotify, Buzzsprout, iTunes, uh, potentially on YouTube, but I definitely know 100% it'll be on the uh, aforementioned um, audio sites at the very least. Yeah, and hopefully stay tuned next week, I think, when we bring it, hopefully with my rejuvenated a new laptop, a new rejuvenated laptop. Uh, the hopefully the quality gets better and hopefully well the quality is always good in terms of what we say but we'll be talking about all things transfers the window will have shut by then maybe I'm not I think so it's the fifth isn't it yeah. it will yeah so the window will have shut by then gives us plenty of time to react look at who's who's in the best position I suppose we can re-predict where people are going to finish then because we actually have our answer sheets in front of, well our evidence sheets fully in front of us so I think that, well, that was a that was a nice podcast, wasn't it, James? Lot covered? Absolutely, yes. Fantastic. Another great one. Pleasure as always. Thanks for listening, everyone. Take care, and we'll see you after the window where we can reflect on uh, everything that happened in this coming week.